Hi, my name is Chandler Malone, and welcome to the latest episode of Be Atento, helpful tips and stories from some of today's most successful entrepreneurs and investors. Be Atento is brought to you by Atento Capital, a Tulsa-based venture fund focused on driving returns through early-stage venture investment and local economic development and job creation. Atento is Spanish for helpful, careful, thoughtful, conscientious, and polite, as we seek to embody these characteristics to all of our stakeholders. Today, we are excited to welcome Ryan Lupberger of Clean Cult to the podcast. Joining us today, Ryan, I know it has likely been a very busy year for you, but we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Likewise, really great to be here. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, of course. For all of our listeners who don't know, Clean Cult is a recent investment of Atento Capital and one of our portfolio companies that we're extremely excited about. Ryan, could you give our listeners just a high-level overview of what you guys do and what makes you all unique? Yeah, absolutely. So I always enjoy telling a little bit of the brand story. Look, so born and raised Colorado, always been natural to my core. Finally looked at the back of my bottle of laundry detergent when I was actually in business school at Babson and didn't see any ingredients listed. So did all this research to why that was and essentially turned out that there's very little regulation in the US to what goes in our personal care products and, and cleaning products. About 1,200 chemicals are either banned or under review overseas, places like Europe or, or Asia, that's allowed here in the States. So we've had this massive movement of organic food and in me and then personal care products that's you know, on me. But now it's the around me movement is what's in my home, what's touching my skin, what's on my sheets, and really taking household cleaning for us. Learned about that. So look for the natural brands in the market. This is the leading greens, the Method Meyer, seven generations of the world. I just wasn't thrilled. They they say that they're better for the world, and yet they use a lot of plastic-based petroleum packaging. Looked at their ingredient list, and I, I didn't understand them that well. And you know, frankly, I didn't think they cleaned as well as they could. And now they've gotten, frankly, much better than 20 years ago, give or take. And then in the years of DTC branding, we have the likes of Quip, Care of, Casper, Harry's, but there has yet to be a really winner kind of in this DTC space. So it was 2017. What if we could create a natural household cleaning brand that uses ingredients you can actually understand? with basically formulas that truly clean with packaging that's zero waste. So I know I'm giving you more than you bargained for here, but basically how our model works is we start with the last bottle of soap you'll ever need. It's a refillable, gorgeous glass bottle that you can really be proud of. Everything from hand soap, dish soap, all-purpose cleaner, liquid laundry. And then on a recurring basis, we ship you milk cartons to refill those bottles rather than plastic bottles. So in the model, it reduces about 95% of the plastic in the industry. And with our technology, we're actually the only company in the world that can put soap in a milk carton. So that's a high-level overview of, of who we are and how we started. Amazing. You talked about you getting started after identifying the problem. I think millions of people every day wake up and, and see problems that they want to solve, but don't necessarily take those action steps to go out and do it. What experiences earlier on in your life or character traits that you have, do you think prepared you to say, okay, look, I'm ready to at- attack this problem when I see it? Yeah, I think there's a lot of problems and I, I don't think there's, they're just more and more. I, I think that we're in an era that information is accessible and anyone can do what they set their mind to given a lot of resources. And I think I got really lucky. I, I think I was part of, of Babson, which was a great community. We got introduced to, to Dave Heath, the CEO of Bombas Socks, who was really core in our story here and in, in helping us fundraise our pre-seed and seed. 
But realistically, I, I think it just took day by day, right? So our whole kind of mantra, this is not my own, but it's endurance and optimization. Frankly, we started literally what we did is we took products that were on the market. We filled them into our bags of quote unquote cleaning products early on. And it, it worked for a pre-launch, but it wasn't our proprietary formula. And this is 2017. And we ran a Kickstarter there and got a little bit more progress, but we had the ingredient story down, but not the brand, right? So fast forward to 2018, we launched in an Indiegogo. We had a couple more products on the market. Now we had hand, dish, APC, and laundry. We had finally our own formulations and we had you know, a long, obviously, process to get there. But then we didn't have the packaging story. And the, the Indiegogo was successful, but the big pushback was, look, you have this beautiful brand, you have ingredients that people can actually understand, but that's not enough. It wasn't, it wasn't exciting enough for customers, for investors, for kind of the world to see. So fast forward another six months, kind of February, March of 2019, and we figured out it was milk cartons. And it was this light that went off, a light bulb, and it saves a lot of plastic. It can sit on retail shelves. Why can't someone do this? So did about six months of, of traveling around the USA to figure out the, the right team members, the right partners, and literally just talking to people. So it really was a two, three-year pre-launch process of what is the solution? It wasn't, we didn't start it. It worked. It, it did take time and just take iteration and, and optimization. One, one of the last things that you talked about there was traveling around the country to find some of the right partners and team members. What are some of the things that you look for in individuals, both in terms of personal characteristics, but also values they can bring to the table? Yeah, you know, I, I'd probably break this down into to three pieces. We've been really lucky to have a terrific team, both a terrific team of investors and a terrific executive team and just a, a terrific general team. I, I think for me, one of the most important char- characteristics is, is loyalty. I think there's a, a big movement now, especially with a lot of younger professionals, that they're hopping around quite a bit. So it's six months here, you know, six months there, a year there. And for us, we very much actually leaned into individuals that usually have stayed at their previous stops for, for longer than two years. Not to say that the alternative is bad, different situations for a host of things could happen, but we've really enjoyed individuals that have really tried and committed to their different companies and organizations and your schools, whatever it may be. So that was really important for us. And to date, we have yet to have anyone quit have a really close-knit team. We're really thankful that stat. Part of it's also because of our, our backstory. We, we have half the team in Puerto Rico, and we have half the team in New York City, and now we have this burgeoning office in Tulsa. And I think part of the reasons that we've really cared about locations, communities, geographies to do that. So that was the first. I think the second is I personally like the dazzle, people that just are really energetic and upbeat about about life, about our solutions, about entrepreneurship. Um, I think it's a little bit harder to, to obviously measure, but person, I really enjoy that trait in people. And then I think the last is just, you know, being a good person, try to leave egos out of the room. I think the first year or two, it matters. I think it really starts to matter if the company sees success in three, four or five um, years. So just trying to make sure the right people on the boat that care about the products they're working on, that care about the mission, but then always put product excellence, ideally, in front of saving the world, because that's an important piece and not to go too off topic here, but we think usually the right individuals are the ones that really care deeply about the product first and the mission second, rather than the mission first and then the product second. That's where we found the sweet spot. 
Could, could you maybe di- dive into that a little bit more? Because I, I think that's really interesting and I'd just love to hear as much color as you can you know, provide around that. Yeah. Look, so at my first job, I uh, worked for a company called the Unreasonable Institute and it was one of the world's foremost social venture accelerators. So they took companies from around the world, um, brought them to the US, gave them quite a bit of funding, mentorship, investment. And, and what I found, it was that Mission-driven individuals are the one of the reasons that we have behavior change and we have game-changing ideas and we have progress in the world. But I think the downside of that is a lot of them tend to focus on the mission before creating the most excellent product, the most excellent team, the, the most excellent org structure, the best cap table for how they build their brands, companies, nonprofit. It, it's such an essential piece of our mission, of our product, of our brand is our kind of basically solution for plastic waste and to reduce that. But one of our kind of big goals is that we change no behavior change, right? So rather than a plastic refill, you're using a paper refill, but it's not a concentrate. Rather than a plastic bottle, we use a glass bottle. But again, it sits on the same retail shelves as all of them. Because I think that the downside, if we're only focused on mission, then it only truly solves for a very small subset of the populations, so like one, two, three percent, and you're not getting this massive change. So the mission focus helps, but I think inevitably that change is driven by as market products to the most largest audience possible with the best products in the market. Um, not sure if that answers your question, but that's how we approach it as a brand. No, definitely, def- definitely does. And I, I think in kind of my list of questions and talking points, I wanted to hear some of your thoughts on combining purpose and profit, that doing good and, and doing well. And it seems you've gotten that framework of how to do both effectively, like almost down to a science, which I think is great. Yeah, it's we're lucky, right? The, the more products we sell, the less plastic there is in the world, the, the better ingredients are, the least toxins start to spread in our homes. So we're very lucky that, that the mission is combined into our brand. But I think the reason is that is we designed this model to be the most amount of game-changing and plastic-reducing model with the least amount of behavior change. So I think that's really, for all the other entrepreneurs out there, I'd really lean on that is how can you create a solution, but don't have the perspective that your solution could require behavior change. We just, we don't think it's going to happen. I think as optimistic as our generation could be, we just don't think that's ever going to happen. So how can we create solutions that don't ask people to change, but that fit right into exactly our current behavior and still make a, a beneficial difference? Got it. Got it. And so could you maybe take us, you know, through what has just given you this passion for, you know, sustainability and making sure that even if we can't make the world a better place, we can just stop some of the damage that we've been doing to it? Yeah. Yeah. When I do think eventually I'm from Colorado, I'm always an optimist at heart. I do think we can make the world a better place. But yeah, I think that today there's a lot of continuing problems that are growing. It's both in consumer goods, and I like looking at industry specific. So you have renewable energy, you have consumer goods, you have policy, you have government, you have all these different kind of spheres of influence that you can dive into. So you would just commit to, to one, right? It could be there's issues in governments that need to be fixed. There's issues in, in software that needs to be fixed. There's issue in renewable energy. For me, I would think identify an opportunity that you personally find interesting and start learning about it. And then it just gets organically, you'll learn how to solve the niche and, and what issues and, and problems they have in their own fields. 
Got it. Got it. Got it. Can, can you take us maybe through some of the experiences that you had, you know, prior to founding Clean Cult that you think were uh, just instrumental in your personal growth and development? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I've always been no bad at heart, always gotten had the opportunity and was lucky enough to travel. Grew up in Colorado where the organic sphere, the natural sphere kind of took place and loved outdoors and backpacking and, and skiing and all the above. And then was lucky enough, I just fell in love with Latin America. So spent close to a year when I was a sophomore in high school in Costa Rica and moved in with a host family there and it changed my view of, of opportunity and privilege and, and being again in a place like there in Costa Rica. Then I took a gap year in in Chile before I went to, to university and then also got a chance to travel all throughout Latin America and Peru and Chile and worked on farms for about a year there. You know, each of those experiences, it was just the, for me, humanity was interesting and beautiful and there are a lot of challenges along the way. And I think the more I, I traveled, it was the more I saw business as really the only solution is that it's really the only form of action that we can take that sort of, again, it goes back to the initial fits within this change and social change while also fitting within the sphere of no behavior change. So I fell in love with it. I fell in love with brands that were solving big issues. I worked with a company called Poppinjay, which um, was actually based out of Pakistan and they made ethical fashion and could do it basically because they had higher quality materials with lower cost. So I fell in love with that and continued to see kind of entrepreneurship and business as this way to, to create change. Well, again, not going back to forcing a mission without people wanting it or forcing this change without people needing it. So I fell in love with that. And then I had a chance to go to Babson and fell in love with the whole sphere of entrepreneurship and international business and just some really talented people that I was around. And you're frankly, it was organic. At one day I looked at the back of the laundry and I was like, there's a real opportunity here. And our company is actually incorporated as a different name because our first product was, uh, I went out to Dunkin' Donuts. And they have a box of Joe that's cardboard that doesn't have a brand on it for the 40 cups of coffee, give or take, that you have at like conference room and meetings. And the first thing we, we knew, we I took that to a pitch competition saying this was our new packaging. It was laundry detergent in a box and, and we won. So yeah, it was it was this organic process. And then people asked to smell the cleaning products. And I said, no, because it still had coffee in it. So it's been a very organic journey. Again, it's taken a long time to get here. but. Um, it just happened and then just continued to take one one foot and one step in front of the other until we got to where we are today. Amazing. Amazing. One of the things that you touched on, you know, a little bit earlier is that your team is very distributed. You've got some folks in New York City, some in Puerto Rico, some in Tulsa. How do you go about managing a distributed workforce, which I think will be super valuable for entrepreneurs to hear, obviously going through, you know, COVID right now as well? Yeah, it's I think it's a question that everyone is working through right now. For us, it's taken some time and we did have the luxury of doing this before the COVID pandemic because we've always had a team in Puerto Rico and a team in New York, but it's been a challenge. I think for us, we've actually found that it's less social and less trying to keep the the team connected. And there's definitely a place for that, but it's actually more in just giving people true ownership of their work is initially we were pushing the social happy hours and the the Monday touch bases and the Wednesday overviews and the Friday, I don't know, weekend powwows that we would push. What are we going to do next week? Had a lot of structure around it. And there's definitely a room for that. And we still have our Monday touch base and we still have 
usually every other Friday, kind of a team lunch. So we get to see each other's faces and there's no work associated with that. And we use Slack, obviously, for integrated communication. But honestly, the big difference and where we found kind of our sweet spot in the remote work is people owning what they're doing, right, is the least amount of micromanagement. It's the most amount of ownership, whether it's a P&L or whether it's product development or whether it's operations or design. It's once we create the framework, having those different team members really lean into leadership positions. And I think, frankly, the in-person actually helped to not have that progress happen. And I think our team is really starting to hit on all cylinders when we were forced to be fully remote and people have started to gain and take more and more ownership over each of their roles. So I've actually been pretty thrilled um, and thankful how the last, last three to six months have gone with fully remote work. Yeah, no, amazing. And when you're looking at hiring candidates, are you trying to optimize more for talent, for cultural fit, for potential? What, what are some of those things that you're looking for that show long-term success? Yeah. Yeah. It's an, it's an interesting question, right? I think that we always look for, for talent and experience in their fields. We very much, at least us as a company, look for people that have done something similar beforehand. So even if a candidate's incredibly promising, we do like to see two, three, five, 10 years of background in, uh, you call it Adobe Illustrator, digital marketing, whatever that is. So that's important for us. I think that the second is loyalty piece, like I mentioned before, is you know, what were their references and what was their history? I think the third is really challenging because the cultural piece, and we've been reading about that as well, just given everything happening today, is a lot of bias in creating or finding the cultural fit is you're probably going to hire someone that looks like you, talks like you, and thinks like you. So our actually goal as a company was to hire as little culture as possible and focus on it as little as possible to make sure that we have a diverse team. We're fairly evenly distributed, female, male. We do have a very diverse Latin American team. We have quite a bit diverse in age. You know, as So that it helps. But again, it's a challenge. So it's uh, something that I think we're always challenging ourselves to do better with here. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that is life as both a human and a business is like a, just a journey of continual you know, improvement. Yeah, um, no, I totally so agree. Kind of going forward, what are some of the things that you're most you know, excited about for, for Clean Cold and that the future just presents for you all? Yeah, so we're in a really wonderful position right now is we truly are the only zero waste cleaning brand that can be merchandised on a shelf. What that means is our milk cartons sit incredibly well in grocery stores, home stores, natural product stores, uh, you name it, we could be there, mass stores, right? So we are launching in some of the, the nations and basically the marquee customers in grocery, in mass, in club, in drug, in the natural channel, and have just been really gaining some terrific retail momentum. So you're going to see us nationwide, and we're already in about 3,000 CVS stores, we're expanding to more. We're in Kohl's and growing our presence there. We are confidentially going to be with a nationwide grocer in September. And then we're launching with you know larger partners come Q1, Q2 of next year that we can't talk about yet, but it's going to be terrific. It's been great because we, we can deliver effective, essential products with truly natural ingredients in a time like this. And it's both essential for people and it's also, I think, essential for the planet just given the increase in volume and plastic cleaning products. We're tr tremendously excited. We, we hired a phenomenal chief sales officer who helped build Method and Baby Gannix, and he's done a great job. He's come onto the team. 
So that's big for us. Our direct to consumer channel is growing rapidly and we're launching with larger cartons as well as our empty glass. So about 50 new products, all in sense and product type will be live in September, which is September of 2020, which is also big for us. I think it goes around retail growth. It goes around direct to consumer growth and products and then Amazon. So we actually ranked as number four for Amazon and hand soap and we'll continue to grow there. And I think our model is very much resonating is that we better ingredients. You can actually understand formulas that actually clean and packaging that doesn't harm the earth or, or, or your home. So I think we're really excited about that. And we recently closed an equity round in, in Q1 of this year. And obviously Attento has been a terrific partner of that and continue to grow with that funding. And so I guess before we wrap and before we go, I know no startup journey is just all like rainbows and successes. Um, can you maybe speak to maybe a time period where things weren't necessarily looking great for you guys or just an obstacle or hurdle that you all had to overcome, whether it be you know internal or external? Yeah, you could break this. I mean, we have more than we care to count, I think, as most do. I, I think there's a couple that come to mind. It was close to impossible to put soap in a milk carton. That took us a year and a half to figure out a year that was massive leaking. Close to 50% of our, our cartons leaked for the first six months. And there's a reason no one else has done this. It, it took a lot of time, a lot of technology, a lot of, of testing. And you have to match, obviously, machinery with the formulation, which is incredibly difficult. And every time there's a formulation change, you need to restart. But that was really hard. And for a while there, because we pitched to our investors that we could do this. But we pitched to get the funding to buy and make the machinery, to buy and make the inventory before we knew that we could do this, <laughs> right? Because right. it was a chicken or the egg problem. So for the first six months of the business, we were presenting empty milk cartons with, uh, with peanuts, with the packing peanuts in them. And the model was there, but we didn't know if it would work. And we had to, because without that, you can't get the funding. We were transparent, obviously, with our investors, but definitely tra transparent verging on optimistic because that's i think how we have to run it so that was really stressful the first six months we've made all these commitments to people and we didn't know how successful this would be and again if we could literally even pull off this form factor in retail so that was hard and thankfully we did it and customers have loved it and there's great traction i think the other part is d to c is that you've seen a lot of brands that have grown e-commerce. One of the reasons that heavy cleaning brands or liquid brands don't grow as well, and there's no D2C brands in the space, so it's really heavy to ship a cleaning product. And we make all of our shipments carbon neutral, which we're really proud of, which adds cost. We have recycled corrugate packaging, which adds cost. We've had to do this without compromising our values. So it's taken a long time to get there, and we're still optimizing and obviously getting better but you know, we think we are going to be the, the natural cleaning company that takes on cleaning and solves all these issues and becomes the next go-to brand in the space. And <laughs> it's a challenge and it will continue to be. But I think we've had some great retention numbers. We have some great products. We have obviously some really exciting investors. So there's quite a bit. And obviously more stories and, and more challenges lie ahead. Awesome. I, I don't want to keep you, you know, for too long. I, I know I promised that we'd keep this uh, under 30 minutes as I know you have a super busy schedule and you are busy literally saving the world. And so, you know, really just want to thank you for your time and, and, and wish you, you know, the best of luck. And before we close out, if there are any asks that you might have from our audience or anything, any kind of final words that you'd love to share? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Look, I think for us, I, I would just say as a customer, if you're an audience member, start to ask for the products in your niche. 
to make these changes. I think grocery stores have actually welcomed us with open arms because their customers have demanded plastic-free packaging. And the same could go for your pasta box that's now transitioned to paper. They're getting rid of the plastic film. The same could go for different bread, right? That it's now getting rid of plastic and little by little. So I think a lot of this change does come from the customer because brands can't start to solve these issues until there's demand in the market. So again, I just think it's asking your local grocery store. It's going up to the managers at Safeway and Target and Whole Foods. It's um, putting enough pressure on these retailers so that they can make the change because they have to keep their sales strong. So again, as all brands trying to make a beneficial change, I think it goes down to people. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ryan, and wish you the best of luck continuing going forward. Likewise. And thanks again for having me today. Jenly. Thank you everyone so much for joining us for the latest episode of Be Atento. You can follow us online uh, across any social media platform at Atento Capital, and you can visit our website at attentocapital.com. You can check out this podcast anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And we want to give a huge thank you and shout out to our production partners, Rant9, for another great episode.